0: Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. Today we're going to be continuing a message that we began last time with a scripture text found in Mark 8, verses 34 and 35. Today we're going to conclude the message entitled, The Paradox of Pursuing Happiness. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Here's Pastor Paul Blair. Nothing else matters until you take care of question number one What have you done with Jesus? The Bible tells us that God loved us so much that even though we were yet sinful, we reference it a little bit going back to Adam and Eve's failure in the garden. We as descendants of Adam are all sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. The Bible tells us that God is perfect and just and holy and cannot tolerate sin. The Bible tells us that because of sin we are separated from God. The Bible tells us that if we die separated from God, we'll spend eternity separated from God in a place that wasn't created for us. Matthew 25. 41 says that hell was made to punish sin and it was made for the devil and his angels. But if you die in your sins, separated from God, you'll spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But God loved us so much that he demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The creator stepped into his creation. Jesus was God incarnate. He fulfilled the prophecies of God. Isaiah seven fourteen said that this promised one would be born of a virgin and his name would be Emmanuel, which means by translation, God with us. Isaiah 9 says his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus Himself in John 8 claimed to be the great I Am of the burning bush. In John 10, He claimed to be the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He claimed to be one with the Father. And in John 14, He reiterated that if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. The Creator stepped into His creation as the Word became flesh and dwelt among us so that He could pay the sin debt owed by His creation. And He did. And of all the founders of world religions in world history, only one claimed not to be the way to God, but only one claimed to be God, and then claimed to offer evidence to prove that he was God. Certainly he offered ample evidence in his life. Only God could have nature subject to him. Nature was subject to Jesus. Storm at sea, hey, stop it, go away, and it did. That's pretty impressive, ladies and gentlemen. Only God could say, you know what, that law of gravity, I'm above the law of gravity. I think rather than going around the Sea of Galilee, I'm just going to go across it. That's a pretty impressive demonstration. But that wasn't the most impressive. He said, one sign will prove that I am who I said I am. After three days and three nights, I'm coming out of the tomb. Then you will know. As a matter of fact, Romans 1.4 says the entire world would know because it would be declared to them through the power of the resurrection. Folks, Jesus died for our sins so that we could be saved. We'll never get to heaven on our own merit. We'll never get to heaven on our own good works. We have no relationship with God unless we trust Jesus Christ. This idea, the song, we're all God's children. We're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. We've become children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, and that's a choice. God just created us. He made us. We were born. We didn't have a vote in that, but we have a vote as to whether we want to be part of His family or not. And if you want to be part of the family of God, if you want to have that restored relationship that was lost in Eden, you must bend your knee and confess that Jesus is your Lord and trust Him as your Savior, just as that same promise wasn't just for Abraham, hey, it was also for us, that salvation, that righteousness is imputed to us, as it says here as Paul wrote in Romans 4, by faith in Jesus Christ his death burial and resurrection Abraham could handle this crisis in his life because first of all Abraham was a believer are you a believer observation number two Abraham trusted God and obeyed God day by day now don't you know that that first night had to be a long night for Abraham can you imagine you know it doesn't say we we know about Jacobs account of wrestling with God all night it doesn't say I doubt very seriously that Abraham was able to sleep that night. Maybe he did. But there's one observation that's made here that's that's given to us in the Scripture that I think is worth noting. The next morning, it says that he got up, he packed up, he saddled up, and began his journey. It's interesting that that is emphasized. Because then it repeats it. The Bible says that he traveled for three days. Now, we know that this is a messianic type. Just as Abraham is the type of God the father, and Isaac is the type of God the son, and just as the son was in the tomb, dead for three days and three nights, so too, as Abraham traveled to Moriah with Isaac, his beloved son, in his mind, he was dead for three days and three nights. So we see the type and anti-type there, but what I think is interesting is that for three days in a row, Abraham got up, packed up, saddled up, and obeyed the direction that God had given him. Ladies and gentlemen... Let me give you the key to living the Christian life successfully. You live it one day at a time. One of my fears when I was first called to preach almost 15 years ago was how in the world am I going to come up with material to preach 150 times a year for the next 30 years of my life? You know what the answer is? I don't need 10,000 sermons. All I need is to prepare the next sermon. Folks, I don't know if I'm going to be a good Christian for the rest of my life. But I know I can be a good Christian today. I don't know if I can be a good husband for the rest of my life. But I know I can be a good husband today. Hey, how do you read your Bible through in a year? Hey, I'm going to read my Bible through this year. How can you promise that? You're not even guaranteed tomorrow. But what you do have is today. You can read your Bible today. In fact, that's what the Scripture says. Look at this from the Amplified King James Version. Matthew six thirty four. so do not be worried or anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have worries and anxieties of its own. Sufficient for each day is the trouble therein. Folks, we speak of salvation as a one-time event. Salvation is actually a constant. There is the point where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is called justification. Paul writes about it in the book of Romans. Then there's one of these days where we will be in our glorified bodies. That's called glorification. In between from the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior until the moment we are called to heaven, there is this period of time called life. And that's where we are to be sanctified. We are to be becoming more like Jesus each and every day. Be holy as He is holy. Beloved, it doth not yet appear what you shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. One of these days, we're going to have glorified bodies just like the one Jesus had when He ascended from the tomb. But in the meantime, we've still got these old sinful bodies. We've got these bodies of flesh, and we've got this conflict between the, the leadership and lordship of Christ and the sinful desires of our flesh. And some days we get up, and sometimes we lose the battle. Sometimes we get up, we put on the armor of God, and some days we win the battle. That's called Living. We cover that in Ephesians 6. We're to take on the armor of God daily. We're to pray daily. We're to obey daily. We're to live a victorious Christian life one day at a time. You can do that. What happens when we blow it? Do we just give up and say, oh, well, no. 1 John 1, 9, the Christian's bar of soap. We confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, we are striving for perfection. If I could be perfect, I would be, but I can't. doesn't keep me from shooting for it every day. When you fail, you ask God to forgive me. You ask your wife or your children or whoever it is that you've offended to forgive you. Then you get back on your horse and you start riding again. We will never reach perfect until we get to our next bodies. But again, that shouldn't stop us from striving for it each and every day of our lives. Abraham was a believer. Abraham obeyed God day by day, trusted God day by day. Point number three, Abraham let God worry about keeping his promises. Now, folks, God had a big problem here. God had told Abraham that Isaac was going to be the one through whom he kept his covenant promises. God had told Abraham that Isaac would be the one through whom his seed would become like the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea. Isaac was going to be the one through whom was coming the promised great nation of Israel. Isaac was going to be the one through whom came the the promised Messiah, beginning in Genesis 3.15. But Isaac was not yet married. Isaac didn't have offspring yet. God told Abraham to offer a son to him, and Abraham had every intention of carrying out that commandment. So the responsibility of keeping the promise was on God, and Abraham had confidence that God could keep his promises. Hebrews 11, verse 17 says this. Here's what Abraham thought. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Also, he received him in a figure. So again, this was a pattern, a type that would ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus. But Abraham was going to obey God in every detail. And Abraham believed that this problem was God's. And God would have to raise Isaac from the dead if he was going to keep his promises. But Abraham Was committed to obedience. Now, notice the lesson that was learned. He knew full well that he was going to obey God and carry out this instruction. But he also knew full well that God had promised to make a great nation and bring the Messiah through Isaac. So, being confident that God would keep his promise and raise him up again, Abraham went to Moriah, I believe to the very spot where some 1,800 years later the Heavenly Father would offer his only begotten Son. And just as Isaac was willing to be offered, and I don't believe that Isaac was a little bitty child. I believe that Isaac was 33 years of age, honestly. I think that Isaac was a perfect type of Jesus. I think Isaac was fully surrendered to being offered. I think he was submitted to his father's will. And just as Abraham was preparing to offer him, The angel of the Lord stepped in, stopped Abraham. We see in Genesis 22, verse 12, it says this, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son from me. Folks, here's the sermon. Ladies and gentlemen, God knew what Abraham would do, but Abraham needed to know who was first in his heart and demonstrate that love. Even as much as he loved his son Isaac, a promised gift from God, even so, Abraham loved God more. And he wasn't afraid of losing what he had, because what he had already belonged to God, and God was in his proper place in Abraham's heart. Abraham possessed nothing. Now, he still had everything to enjoy. He had his herds and flocks and goods. He had his wife by his side. He had the son of his old age. He had everything, but he possessed nothing. Nothing. Points to remember. Number one, Fairview. Get your priorities in order. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6, Jesus correcting some of the errors of the traditional rabbinical Judaism in his Sermon on the Mount. Beginning in verse 19, he addresses the role of money and material things as Jews believe that wealth was a sign of spirituality. Folks, there's nothing wrong with being successful. There are many in the Bible that the Scriptures say God blessed with great wealth. We just talked about Abraham, a wealthy man. Job was a wealthy man. Jacob was a wealthy man. David was a wealthy man. King Uzziah, King Hezekiah, King Solomon. A number of examples. Not only did God bless them with great wealth, but they used their resources for good. We know that Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, gave up his tomb for the burial of Jesus. We know that Martha, time and again, provided food and shelter for Jesus and the disciples. We know that Barnabas sold off some of his real estate to provide for the needs of others during a time of crisis in the early years of the first church in Jerusalem. Money, in and of itself, is neither good or evil. It's only a tool to facilitate the store of energy and labor. It's used to facilitate trade. It's supposed to be used for good. However, the Bible says that the love of money, covetousness, obsession, is the root of all evil. Folks, you can't have two number ones in your life. You can't have two masters. You can't serve both God and stuff. By the way, your God is who commands your attention. Your God is whom you serve. Your God is where you invest your time, your talents, and your energy. And folks, understand, this passage does not deal with having a savings account or planning for retirement. But the point is, you can't worship both. Both can't be number one. You can't worship God and worship your bank account. If money is your God, then prepare to live a life in fear and futility. Folks, if money is your God, then you're investing yourself and your time in something that you cannot keep. Doesn't matter how long you live. The story of the, when the billionaire died and the lawyers asked each other, how much did he leave? The answer was all of it. It's not to be flippant. We all understand money is important to us. We have to be able to feed our families and clothe our families and, and pay the electric bill. Money is vitally important. But if money becomes your God, you'll be serving something that cannot last and you'll be investing in something that you cannot keep. It's an effort in futility. Money is your God, then you run the risk of compromising your values in order to attain your goal and serve your God. 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 through 10. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, said this. But they that, notice the next word, will be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Folks, a covetous eye is... Will lead you to compromising your standards, your personal values, your business practices, and others. Point C if money's your God, you'll live in fear of losing your God. But guess what? If Jesus is your God, you cannot lose Jesus. Our identity, our self worth is not determined by a balance sheet. Your identity is that of Christian follower of christ and your value is so great that jesus died just for you your identity according to the bible is that as child of god child of the king your identity is that as ambassador of heaven folks that cannot be taken away you cannot lose your position with god that has been purchased through the blood of the cross that is true wealth that is true security paul said to the church in rome who shall separate us from the love of christ Just because we're in tribulation, does that mean that God stopped loving us? Just because we're having a tough day or facing persecution or or maybe we don't have much food to eat or maybe we don't have much shelter or cover or maybe we're facing peril or or even martyrdom? Does that mean that God has stopped loving us? No. He says history has shown that the people of God are persecuted all the time. in all these things, verse 37, Paul says... We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us, for I am persuaded, I am confident, I am convinced, I know without a shadow of doubt that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, things supernatural, things that we can't see with the human eye, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature or of God's creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus Our Lord. Folks, that's better than FDIC insurance right there. But if your happiness and your self-worth is dependent upon something that can be stolen away, then you'll live your life in absolute fear. Choose who your Lord is going to be. You can't have two number ones in your life. And money makes a terrible master. The great Bible teacher Warren Wiersbe said this, If God is our master, then money will be our servant, and we will use our resources in the will of God. But if God is not our master, then we'll become the servants of money, and money is a terrible master. Point number two. You are simply stewards of the gifts and talents that God has entrusted you with. Give them back to God, then you won't have to worry about losing them. I remember... I think it was 1998. It was just in the first month of January. Uh, I think it was about the 7th or 8th. I don't remember the exact day. We'd gone into the living room and getting ready to sit down on the floor and play a board game with my sons, who were just small at the time, like single digit age. And we got a phone call. It was a call from mom. And she was very calm, amazingly. But she said that something had happened to dad. And they were heading to Mercy in an ambulance. And He thought that dad might have a stroke. Of course, Steve and Dave and I and the family, we all gathered down there immediately. And I remember spending several hours that evening. In fact, we spent the entire evening down there in the waiting room of the intensive care unit. And as we were praying for Dad and encouraging each other, and, you know, this just was out of the blue. Dad, the day before, was in perfect health. Dad and Mom go out to dinner at a restaurant there in northwest Oklahoma City, and then Dad goes to the bathroom and never comes back. And that's, that's, that's how it happened. And so it was a shock to all of us. But it was amazing that over the course of that evening, the doctor finally came out and he said this. He said, Mrs. Blair, and Mr. Blair, Mr. Blair, Mr. Blair, Your father has had a a brain bleed. There's nothing we can do. We don't expect him to make it through the night. You know the amazing thing about that? Is that when the doctor said there was nothing that they could do. Is when we had absolute peace. Because at that point the reality set in. That we were totally in God's hands. We prayed, left it to God. Now, the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, that's how we should approach every day. How much control do we really have? My heart's beating, but I'm not controlling it. It could stop any minute now, and nothing I could do about it. My lungs are filling with air, and then contracting, I'm releasing in and out, in and out, but I I think I control, I really don't. I mean, I can control it to a certain extent. I can hold my breath for, I don't know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, but then I'll start breathing again. Or, you know, but if I stop breathing, there's nothing I can do about it. The reality is that every minute of every day, we are entirely in the palm of God's hand. Now, folks, that should give us perfect peace. We belong to God, He created us. He saved us. Our talents were given by God. Our calling was dependent upon God. Your family is God's. Your talents are God's. Your career is God's. Your investment portfolio is God's. All that we have and all that we are is by the grace of God. All that you have is God's. You belong to God. Rest in that. That was what the point that Abraham had to learn. Could it be possible that his love for Isaac was getting to such a point where God was beginning to take a back seat? I think so. That's really the only point that I can make out of the story rather than it's an illustration of God the Father and God the Son. But I think that Abraham had to be reminded who God was. And Abraham was. And Abraham was faithful and was willing to make sure that God was was on the throne of his heart, even if that meant losing his own son. Romans 8, He that spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Think about that. If we have been given the gift of Jesus Christ, what is there that God would withhold from us? Point number three. God is on the job, so don't worry. Think about this, folks. How silly we are. We have little difficulty getting down on our knees and accepting with complete... Let me just ask you, how many of you know you're saved and going to heaven? Raise your hand. How many of you know it? You know it. Praise God. Put your hands down. What a great way offering. It's amazing we have little difficulty getting down on our knees and accepting the promises that cannot be seen with the visible eye. We trust God's promises and we believe that our sins are placed on Jesus we believe that we are now justified in the sight of Almighty God we believe that Jesus is right now preparing a place for us in heaven we believe that one day Jesus is going to come again and receive us unto Himself we believe that our loved ones who are already asleep in Jesus are with Him at this very moment by faith believing God at His word we receive these promises which cannot be seen and we rest in those promises yet at the same time we worry about whether God can provide for our needs while on this earth. Is it any wonder that Jesus gently rebuked His disciples in Matthew 6, 30 with this expression, O ye of little faith. Jesus said in balancing the priorities of self-life with God-life with this statement, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things Shall be added unto you. Thus the paradox of true happiness. Ladies and gentlemen. Listen and we'll be done. God made things. God made man. God knows man needs things. But your heart belongs to God. If you spend your life pursuing things, you'll never be content. There's never enough. You'll live in fear of losing what you have. But if you pursue first God and His righteousness, you'll have joy, the peace, and the contentment that only comes from trusting in and walking with the Savior. As we expressed during the sermon, and as we read in our text, Jesus Made this statement. He said, What does it profit a man if he would gain everything, the whole world, but lose his own soul? Of course, the answer is understood nothing. What does it matter if you have comfort and wealth for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, but spend eternity in hell separated from God? Ladies and gentlemen, do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you died right now, you'd be in heaven? Ladies and gentlemen, who is Jesus to you? Is it just a man, just a good man, just a prophet, or was He God who stepped into creation to die for your sins and rose again for your justification? If the answer is the last, then what have you done about it? Has there been a point in time in your life where you have said, I do, to Him? There's a point in time where Cindy and I courted, and then there was a day where I stood in front of a of assembly and before a preacher and said, I take her to be my wife. Has there been a point in time where you have taken Jesus, trusted Jesus as your Savior? Jesus said, I do to you almost 2,000 years ago on a cross at Calvary. Has there been a point in time in your life where you have willfully and intentionally given your heart and life to Him? If there hasn't been that time, I'd invite you to do that today. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. That's not the end. That's just the beginning. That's the new birth, being born again. We thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word and we look forward to being with you next time. Until then, may God bless you. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.FairviewBaptistEdmond.org or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.